What is up, everyone, and welcome into episode 35 of the Modern Drummer Podcast with Mike and Mike. My name is Mike Johnston from Mike'sLessons.com, and my co-host, who will be joining me shortly, is Mr. Mike Dawson, managing editor of Modern Drummer Freaking Magazine. In this week's episode, we'll get to a bunch of your guys' questions. We'll talk a little drumming terminology and what sticking and orchestration mean to Mike and myself. This week's featured artist is Mr. Andreas Ferrero. He's a drummer from the hit Broadway show Hamilton. And in our gear review section, Mike will check out the DW Pure Oak drum set. So let's get to it. It is episode 35. It is a beautiful Wednesday afternoon. How's it there, buddy? It is nearly spring. It's still a little brisk, but we're, we got sunshine at least, so I'll, that I'll is, take that. That is very nice. Very nice indeed. We are getting into the May issue of your magazine, and uh, that yeah. is very exciting for me because uh, there's a little announcement in that magazine, and uh, so thank you to all the Modern Drummer readers for voting me the educator guy. Yeah, right. Congrats. Is that the award, educator guy? <laughs> the guy who teaches lots. <laughs> yeah. I got the guy who teaches lots of the year award, and I really appreciate it. Uh, but that, that was awesome. So thank you to, to you and your staff. for You guys sent me an amazing plaque, and I, I, I really appreciate it. So thank you very well, much. Well deserved. Well deserved. Thanks, buddy. Thanks, buddy. Uh, so what else is new in your world, man? Um, wow. What's new in my world? I feel like it's been one long week since we talked. I don't. I don't remember. I mean, I had to travel to play a gig in D.C. By the way, I might have mentioned it in previous shows that I often use a trigger on my bass drum when I'm playing yep. like weird rooms. Yeah. And it, and it was like a gig saver because the, the PA system really sucked and the stage was super duper tight. So if I would have tried to really put, if I would try to put a bass drum mic in or near the bass drum, it would have got knocked around. It would have been feeding back. So I always carry a trigger in my SPDS. So I just slapped that thing on the bass drum we didn't even mic the bass drum i just used the trigger it was a gig saver that is awesome man. yeah so i did that in dc and then i came back and played another gig up here and you know just back to work so it's been a pretty wild wild week what about you very nice uh just i'm getting ready for the uh, model three announcement tomorrow uh model so three tesla model three their consumer-based electric car consumer-based thirty five thousand dollars <laughs> What is you? What is the scoffing about? <laughs> My God, dude, you don't even understand what it's like, man. Everything Tesla related, I get forty emails like, oh, "I heard, I heard your car is going to catch on fire." I'm like, "What? What are you talking about?" <laughs> oh, I heard the, 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 and it's like, "Geez, Louise, I'm not the poster boy. I it's so, just, I just like the company." What's he trying yeah. to do with this? He's trying to take over the automobile industry. Well, I mean, I would, I would think knowing Elon's kind of. You know, vision. I mean, he started with PayPal. That was his first kind of successful company. Okay. Then he so- sold that. Uh, but his goal was to create global commerce. You know, so that. Ba- I mean, before PayPal, it wasn't easy for a student to pay me. You know, yeah. if they were in China. So he started uh, PayPal, and then he sold that to eBay. Then did uh, uh, Tesla uh, to kind of change the way that. We use fossil fuels. Then he started. Uh, then his cousin and him uh, started Solar City, which and they they kind of changed the game financially of solar, uh, getting solar installed in your home because their whole point was well nobody can afford to get it installed in the first place to right. get the savings. So why don't we just give it to you and we'll install it for free and then the savings is what you will use to pay us back until you're paid off and then you're off the grid. Uh, so Solar City kind of changed the game on that, and then he started SpaceX uh, to get us, you know, to Mars and stuff. So I, I would assume that his goal with the Model Three is to force all of the other auto manufacturers to make to make electric cars, and yeah. he's already doing. I mean, Tesla supplies the batteries for quite a few electric cars that are already on the market. So he's not trying to, you know, monopolize the market by any means. I think the goal was to have the Tesla Model S and the Model X come out to instill confidence so people saw like they see them on the road yeah i've had mine now for two and a half years almost three years now so i got mine pretty early and i've never had any real problems with it whatsoever and and the most minor of problems have been all little things that you take it into tesla and they they fix it right away and and they have a pretty cool loaner program where they they look at whatever model s you have they give you a loaner that is upgraded from yours 
And if you like that loaner while you have it, you just call them and say, I'm not bringing this back. And then they change your payments. So oh, wow. <laughs> they've got the game figured out. <laughs> it's pretty cool. But anyways, the Model 3 gets announced. And it's yeah, it's going to uh, be the thirty dollars to $35,000 consumer-grade car. It's going to go about 200 miles per charge. And we'll see what happens. It, it's supposed to be delivered in 2017. And people can start reserving them uh, tomorrow night right after the announcement. There's that's people camping sweet. out at the Tesla centers already to reserve their Model 3. So so that's going to be like like the uh, the Apple store where people just exactly there. Yeah. Exactly. It's going to be the, the iPhone 1. So, man, do you have your – did you ever – are you an iPhone guy? Yeah, but I came in late. I mean I got okay. the, uh, the 4S when it was already like a year or so Oh, okay. Old. Okay. So you didn't stand in line for I, – I had the first one, the very first one. No. And uh, – I, I I did the whole wait in line thing. And really? I yeah. I wish I I've had every one that's. I guess I've skipped every other one. Once they started doing four, then four S. I just went four, five, six. Yeah. So I don't have the six S right now, and I'm kind of waiting for the seven. But to be honest, when it comes to Apple stuff, ever since Steve left, I don't know, man. I yeah. I mean, there's a lot to be said about having the visionary. I mean, yeah. Like can't the really Apple replace that. The Apple Watch was the first thing that I didn't get. You know, I, I always got the new iPad. I got the new, the new phone, uh, the newest oh. iPod, iPod Touch, or whatever. Why not? I didn't need it. It was the first time they made something that I didn't care about, mm. and it, that was weird for me because I, I watched the whole announcement and I, you know, I watched it live stream and I was so excited and I was like, yeah, I, I have no desire to do any of those things with my watch, and uh, so that was that. And then just recently, it's kind of been like. All right. Uh, every update to iTunes isn't quite as cool as it was before, and it's been, yeah. it just doesn't function quite as well. There's been more and more bugs. And, and so, yeah, just all of a sudden I see these like commercials for Samsung Galaxy Edge, and I'm like, that's a cool-looking phone. <laughs> no, it, it's really, you don't want to go there. <laughs> exactly. Amber was like, you know, because Amber tried it. Amber tried it once, and she's like, you know you're going to hold that plastic thing in your hand, and yeah. a week later you're going to take it back. <laughs> but, but, but I will say this. You're right. There is something to to be said for having a visionary and a leader that instills trust in in their consumer base for sure. So, well, I would assume, knowing what I know about this podcast, we have a few listener questions to get to. We do, uh, and I let's see again. Send them on over mdinfo at modernjumper dot com. They'll be forwarded to me. I have a few that probably can blast through relatively quickly. Let's see how many we can get through. All right, I think we talked about this before, but this is coming from Rolo. Tomasi, who's in Finland. Awesome. He uh, really enjoyed the Chicago drum snare samples that we dropped in last week. Yeah. So he wants to know, um, how do you tune your snare drum bottom heads when you get down into the lower fat-sounding tunings? Uh, he loves that birthday cake sound. I never heard it called a birthday, birthday cake sound. That's pretty cool. Birthday cake sound. Birthday That's cake awesome. sound, but I sometimes struggle with odd resonance issues with my reso head and unwanted buzz from the snare wires, even after trying different tunings and wire tensions. So, uh, And he says, I don't have these problems in my samples, so what are we doing to the bottom head? I actually do have a question, I mean, relating to that, because I've, you and I have never talked about it. When I tune my snare down, I actually don't change my bottom head. Do you actually tune down both heads? I only tune the bottom down if it doesn't sound right. Okay, so it stays it stays pretty pretty high. I mean, it's it's about as high as it can go. Which, if you have a a chromatic tuner, it's between like the note F and A, like A four forty or a G or an F, somewhere in that okay. range. It's really high. I mean, the only time I tune it down below that is if the snare buzz is just out of control, and I might detune around the the wires a little bit. Right. Yeah, and that's just to make that's not even detuning as much as it's just making more contact with the wires. Yeah, yeah. Just getting, I mean, giving it them a better it bit. a little bit. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. 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 So I don't really adjust it. So as far as odd resonances, you just have to start out with the head balanced really well to begin with. I always tune it from the beginning, kind of medium tight, and get every lug perfectly the same note. So then when I make adjustments, it stays consistent up and down. Um, and I don't muffle it, so you sh- you're not hearing anything different. Um, and the snare wires. Uh, one trick. When you want to get that really kind of gushy sound, is to tighten the wires more. It's kind of the opposite of what you think. You think you want to go super loose. We actually want to tighten them to where they only buzz for like you know a real short amount of time. That's what right, gives but, you that. But with a loose top head. Yeah, the top head will yeah. be maybe a maybe a quarter or a half turn above completely loose, 
the bottom yeah. head stays where it was. And then, then you have to just mess with the wires, tightening them to the point when you just you don't have the rattle. Yeah. It actually yeah. sounds well, you get more low end when you tighten the wires at that tuning, actually. The other thing that, that people don't understand is a lot of their snare buzz is not related to their snare as much as it's related to the tuning of their toms. If you yeah. have some really horrendously tuned toms or just two, you know, it just might be a, a resonating frequency. The toms are what's making that. So I would definitely check out if you think that snare buzz or the frequencies you don't like, is it happening when you hit your snare or is it happening when you play the rest of your kit? Because it could be your toms and the tuning of your toms that's freaking the snare wires out. Yeah, and I don't worry about snare buzz really at all. I think it's I part love of, it. it's part of a drum set sound. You know, I, I, I sit on too many kits where the guys have just cranked the snare wires to the point where they don't do anything because they don't yeah. want to hear any buzz, and that's just it just castrates the drum set. In my I opinion. can't stand it, and I can't stand when when drum companies sample their toms without a snare in the room. It, yeah. it drives me nuts because I'm like, that's that doesn't sound like your drums are on an actual kit. So, yeah. Well, hopefully Alrighty. that helps. So yeah, just keep that bottom head tight. Um, next one. This comes from. Uh, AJ, who I believe sent a question a couple weeks ago, he wants to know what do we do if we run into a drumming slump as far as our practicing or otherwise? What do we do to overcome it? Oh, you mean like every day? Yeah. Because exactly. I do that every day. I literally yeah, just that's... edited a video of myself cussing myself out during a product demo. <laughs> I'm probably going to post it to Instagram, but it's not funny. I mean, now that I edited it, it's like, this isn't funny, but I think I'm going to put it up anyway. <laughs> right. It's like, it's too real. Like, like, this I, funny. I seriously this is... went like full on F myself. <laughs> really? Wow, yeah. attaboy. a boy. That's cool, man. We get a little insight into the so psyche I, of Mr. Mike Dawson. I'm probably going to put it up. Anyway, you want to answer his question first? Well, I yeah, I mean, I think you need to find a group of things that inspire you. So I have things that I fall back on that always, even if I'm just in the worst mood ever about my own drumming, as soon as I watch it, I'm like, wait, I could do that. So one thing I don't do is I don't reach too far in front of me. The distance between myself and my inspiration isn't too vast. So watching a video of Virgil Donati does not inspire me because the distance between myself and Virgil is far too vast. So I can't make any tangible connections to that. But when I watch some some of my friends play, if I watch JP Bouvet or Benny Greb or Anna Canillis, then I kind of go like, like, oh, that's a really cool thing. Or even even some of the Dave Weckl stuff. Dave actually does quite a bit of stuff that feels tangible where you just grab an idea from it and you go, okay, that's going to inspire me. The other thing is I have books that I go to that every time I go to that book, I find a, a new little nugget. I don't think I'll ever be done with future sounds. Uh, I've been using Yost Nichols' groove book a lot lately. So things like that inspire me. Um, and then it just gets me out of my funk, you know. And then the other thing that gets me out of my funk more than anything is I just walk away. It's yeah. okay to not play drums for two days. You know, that's the best f- funk buster there is. Funk yeah. buster? Funk buster. That's a new product. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think baseball players call it a slump buster, but we'll call it a funk buster. I don't know if I want anyone to bust my funk, actually. Easy now. Easy. <laughs> All right. What, what are your tricks for busting the funk? Oh, man. Oh, you know what I do? God. I listen to music that's completely unrelated to what I'm currently having to play a lot of. Nice. So, like, recently I decided I need to listen to jazz again. I put on some Miles Davis early era with... with Tony Williams when he was young. Bro, you were burning on that ride cymbal. Yeah. I saw that. That was fantastic, <laughs> man. I was I was I've never heard you play like that. I've never heard you play like fast bot before. That was really cool, man. Yeah, well that was right after listening to Four and More. Like oh, okay. the night before I just listened to nothing but four and more because I was in a in a certain funk of like having to play mid tempo beats for like every gig and right. like just having to hit really hard. I'm like, let me get back into just my roots and play some jazz. So that's and and those and I always go for like what I know is inspiring. Tony Williams is always inspiring. Elvin Jones is always inspiring. Uh, Art Blakey is always inspiring. Yeah. Steve Jordan. So I got my my guys that like my idols. So I just grab one of them I haven't paid attention to in a, in a while, and inevitably I'm I'm back into into the mode. Yeah. And I think that's the other thing too that people need to realize is it's okay for you to have your own little group of inspiration, and it doesn't need to be related to other people. So I don't. You know, I don't look to the same people that Mike does for my inspiration. I look to the people that I know for a fact get me inspired to play drums and the music that gets me inspired to play drums. And usually it's related to a much younger time in my life when it was like that everything inspired me at that time. So very cool. Right. Hope that cool. helps, AJ. Cool. I need to uh, – we have to answer Mari's question. She sent me a, a question on Facebook and I, I – uh, 
unfortunately overlooked it for a couple of weeks. So okay. apologize to her. But her question was, she's wondering if there's ever been a woman featured on the cover of Modern Drummer. Um, and what is the selection process for determining which artists are on the cover? So awesome. I just so I went back and looked through our index. Um, we actually had Terry Lynn Carrington on the cover in September of 1989. That was so, the last one. That was the first one. That was oh, that was the first the one. first okay. one that I could find. So she was, okay. and I think that that's pretty pretty long ago. I, she might have been the first drummer, female drummer on on the cover of any magazine. Right. Um, She's she was the first drummer that uh, first female drummer that anyone ever brought to my attention. Because I can't remember who she, she might have been doing something with uh, Arsenio Hall show. Oh, okay. Well, she was doing something like an, an album that I was. I was starting to get into the Yellow Jackets. I was getting into okay. Will Kennedy a lot, and somebody said, "Oh, you should check out Terry Lynn Carrington." And I, I thought honestly, I thought Terry was a guy's name, and I listened to it, and all the time in my head, it's it's a male drummer to me. And then I found out later, probably actually through Modern Drummer, that it was a female, and that was such a great thing. Where it was like, oh, that's so great, like. That means that there is no separation between female and male drummers. If you sound good, you sound good. Yeah. You know, I, yeah I bet, and she's I bet, always been one of my favorite drummers. I bet you can find some clips of the old Arsenio Hall show on YouTube. She was, she was the original drummer in his band before Chuck, Chuck Morris. Okay. And I think she was like 17 or 18 years old. So not she, only was she incredible. a badass drummer and a, and a female drummer, but she was like a teenager as well. Right. So she was on the cover in 89 and also again in, in 2012. Sheila E. was the next cover she was on july of 91 um, then we've had several others kim thompson was in february of 07 cora coleman was on july of 09 so it's not something that we haven't done and we've it's been over 20 years of covering female drummers 27 uh, years of covering female drummers i have no doubt that annika will be on your cover one day yeah we'll see what happens with her album we're kind of looking forward to hearing yeah it, it should be very cool um and mari uh, Mari's been to she came to the Common Thread drum camp she came to my camp last year she's coming to my June camp this year so I know Mari very well and she's an incredible drummer and hopefully one day Mari if you push yourself you will be on the cover of Modern Drummer as well and that would be That's a fantastic right. thing and you know what's funny is like when people hear that about themselves it's like okay whatever well I can tell you this Matt Halpern still has have you ever seen his fake Modern Drummer that he yeah, had made for his or his parents amazing. had made for his bar mitzvah right <laughs> so and in his mind, that could—that's not even a possibility at that time. He's thirteen. He's having his yeah. bar mitzvah, you know. And for me, I have the same stuff. And then one day, someone calls, and it's like, "Hey, you're going to be the cover of Modern Drummer." And it's like, "You what?" I so. Guys, if you're listening, girls, if you're listening, just just keep your head down and work your ass off. And one day, someone will tell you to pull your head up, and you'll go like, "Oh wow, that's really cool stuff." So, all right, next. Yeah. Well, really, to answer her second part of her question, what's oh, yeah. the selection process? It's it, it. There's so many variables, but two words: be great. That's all there is to nice. it. Whatever it is that you do, just be great at it. That's um, easy enough. Yeah. So I have a few more, but let's let's move on. We'll get to the okay, rest of them. Okay. Sounds later. good. All righty. Well, I wanted to talk to you about drumming terminology because I know that a lot of our listeners are maybe not totally new to the drum set, but there's so much terminology that we use in our world of drums and we've talked about warm and bright and fast and and all that stuff and one of the the groups of terminologies is a little more related to your drumming itself and that would be sticking in orchestration and a lot of times people will gloss over orchestration because they'll just they'll say it so fast that they don't think to tell their audience what they mean by orchestration and they'll just say well you know you can use this however you want, and you can just orchestrate it around the drum set. So as far as your own process, I mean, I think we both understand that orchestration just means where are you playing something on the instrument? Because you can play a paradiddle on a single surface, but it sounds very different if you orchestrate it somewhere else on the kit. So if I take my right hand, did you just step on a dog? Did what I? Was no, that was no, my was, office I chair squeak. <laughs> I don't know what it's going to sound like on your microphone, but Skype made it like you just stepped on a small dog. Uh, <laughs> I might. I'm so, kind of angry today. <laughs> <laughs> so if you have like a paradiddle and you play it on the snare drum, it's just going to sound like four sixteenth notes. Uh, you have, you know paradiddle paradiddle. But as soon as you move or orchestrate the right hand somewhere else, it's going to sound very different. So if I move my right hand to this desk. 
Now it sounds very different. So I've orchestrated it somewhere else. So what is your process for orchestration? Do you learn something on a single surface and then start to orchestrate it? Or do you learn the orchestration first when you're learning something new? Man, that's a good question. I don't really remember exactly what I did when I was really young and learning all this stuff. But I know kind of as an adult what my process is. And it goes back to like Jack DeJohnette's philosophy of he wants to be able to just change up his sticking at will without having to think about what it is. So he's mixing up singles and doubles at will, not thinking this is a double paradiddle, this is a paradiddle sure. He's just yeah. playing singles and doubles in different ways to get different sounds and to free up his body to move around the kit the way that he wants to move. So I've taken that approach. So I learned everything on a pad. Like I just okay. I've, I've played stick control bazillions of times. I've done the Gary Chafee's Sticking Patterns books bazillions of times with the goal of being able to just at will play whatever I need to do. And I change up the sticking mostly just to make it easier to play the kit. Okay. So not necessarily to to explore that sticking. It's more just I want to hit that crash on the left, so I need to play a double with the right. Sure. Now, real quick, just to since we were talking about sticking and orchestration, does sticking mean anything to you other than rights and lefts and the order that they're put in? I would add the feet to that as well. Okay. So I would say you can have, you can have a because footing is a stupid word. We don't we don't use that. But <laughs> you can. So we relate at the magazine when you say sticking, it could also be incorporating the bass drum or the hi hat foot. Okay. Good to know. Yep. So that yeah, that's always been my my philosophy is just using getting my hands to be able to just change between singles and doubles when whatever grouping whatever naturally to get some sort of a musical phrase and then i use that to go around the kit the way i want to okay so let's say that if i gave you a pattern a linear pattern of kick right left kick right left right left eight notes would you start it as just kick and snare and once you really had the pattern ingrained and the sticking ingrained then you move it or would you just start moving around the kit right away that would probably have to be worked out on a pad first. Okay. For okay. And that's kind of, you know, I think orchestration not only is a thing as far as moving around the drum set, but it's also in a lineage of where does it show up in my practice? For me, pattern is first. I have to learn the pattern before I can even imagine anything else. And as soon as I move my right hand, say, to the floor tom and leave my left hand on the snare, now my ear is having to deal with a new sound. So it's the pattern's the same, but it sounds very different. And that takes me a long time. So I start with pattern or sticking, I guess would be what we're using now. I get that down, and that can be pad, it could be kick and snare, or it could be if I was here in this office, I can work on my sticking just fine with kick right, left, kick right, left, right, left, just tapping on the ground and, you know, hands and knees type of stuff. But then I start to orchestrate it and move it around. And so I think just for you guys out there, when you learn something, you need to understand how important orchestration is in the whole practice thing because people are always asking me, hey, can you teach me some tom beats? And I'm like, are you nuts? Every beat you can play is a tom beat. Move your freaking hands to the toms. <laughs> right. I obviously can't say it like that online. I have to be very nice because I understand that to them that just hasn't occurred to them. What they don't know is everything they've ever learned is a tom beat. Move your right hand to the floor tom, play all your ghost notes on the rack tom and don't make them ghost notes and you're good to go. Yeah. And – you know, and they're like, oh, I want to play something tribal. And I'm like, move your hands to the toms and play the same beat you've been playing. Yeah. And then they go like, oh, I love these tom beats. And it's like, well, you already had this. You just haven't worked on orchestration. So for me, when I learned grooves out of Carmine's book, Realistic Rock, as soon as I had the groove down, I immediately moved my right hand to the ride cymbal. Then I learned it there. Then I moved my right hand to the floor tom and I learned it with that orchestration. So, I mean, I think that's a really important part of things that people – a lot of times they just learn whatever's on the page and they never think to orchestrate it in different ways. Yeah, that's why I really like Gary Chafee's – I can't remember which one it is, but he kind of takes you through the process of here's the here's the pattern, which sticking, whatever we want to call it. Right, and sure. Then he, and then he gives you the rules, like put the right hand on the hi-hat, put the right, right. hand on the ride symbol. He gives you all these – you know, add a double. He gives you this step-by-step. Step, so then when you encounter a new sticking for the first time, you can kind of – subconsciously go through through all those processes or skip right to the ones that you know that you like. Yeah, totally. No, I I fully agree. Awesome. Well, there you go. Sticking and orchestration. Drumming terminology explained by Mike and Mike. All (laughs) right, let's get into the featured artist of the May issue. This is your cover artist. And apparently, according to your guys' guidelines, he is great. So this is Andreas Ferrero, and he is the drummer for the hit. Would, Would you call it a musical or a play or a Broadway show? I don't know. I guess they call them Broadway shows. Okay. Well, I he's mean, he's the drummer for Hamilton, right? Yes, which has been kind of tearing up 
like every critic's list. I mean, yeah. who would have thought? It's the, it's the big deal right now. And one thing that just struck me right away before I even got into the article, because I, I am a, a male um, and I'm not overly educated. So that means that when I read your guys' articles, I just look at the pictures first. <laughs> and the one thing that really struck me was like I was like, that can't be his setup for – for the Broadway stuff, because I'm so used to seeing kind of that music circus drum setup with a billion things. Like he has like a straight up drum set. Yeah, well, he's got a lot of electronics too. Yeah, but I mean, it's not quite as crazy as what I'm used to seeing from from somebody in the pit. You know, if I if I was to see the drummer for the Lion King, I would expect it to be a little more insane. Um, I mean, I guess it is kind of tricked out now that i'm looking at it but he doesn't have like you know like uh fog horns and things like that in there i can't find the fog horn <laughs> i cannot find the fog horn but uh so now did have you ever met andreas yeah he's been uh he, yeah he's been well he's in the magazine back in uh man it was a couple of years back 2009 when he was okay. a drummer for in the heights so he's been on the broadway scene for probably about 10 years uh, and I've met him. He's he's local in New Jersey. He's been to the Modern Drummer Festival. And actually, uh, if you read his, there's a little mention in his intro about how he was in a car accident. And yeah, and he had play. to learn how to walk again. Yeah, that actually happened coming home from the Modern Drummer Festival. Oh, wow. Yeah, 2005, I believe it was. Oh my God. And he seriously didn't think. He, well, some people didn't think he'd ever be able to play again. So he wow. just buckled down and, and he got in the height. I mean, four years later, he was the f- main drummer in In the Heights. So, you know, he just, if there's a will, there's a way, right? Yeah, that's freaking amazing, man. Yeah. So now he's now he's in the, the top musical on Broadway. It's kind of a big deal. It's, it's really a big deal. I mean, they, from what I hear, you can't get tickets or anything like that. I mean, it's sold out yeah, for a years. while. Yeah. Is it really? Yeah. Jeez. That is awesome. Now, have since you live in New York, I mean, do you go to a lot of Broadway shows? No, or have I you, don't. Okay, I don't. I mean, have you I, gone I, to any? Well, I mean, I went to Phantom of the Opera before I moved here. I went okay. to um, I saw Chicago before I moved here. Okay. And since I've been here, I, I went. Well, actually, I just went to Lion King because I we're doing a story with Carter McLean in the next issue. Okay. So I got to sit in the pit for Lion King, but wow. no, I mean, I did I did so much musical theater when I was a kid that I kind of right. burned myself out on it. I'm with you, man. I got right when I got to Guys and Dolls. I was like, I'm done. I just yeah. don't. I'm, I just can't do this anymore. Uh, it. I mean, it wasn't my thing. But the. I think the thing that I realized was it wasn't my thing as much as it was other people's thing. And when I would go, my mom would take me to. You know, we'd go see. We have like a little. We call it the Sacramento Music Circus, but it's the closest thing we have to Broadway shows. And I would see. We have a guy named Stan Lanetta, and he's a legend in Sacramento. And just a percussion stud. And he's always been doing the music circus. And when I saw him do his gig and I started taking lessons with him, it was like, wow, you're so into this. I will never be into this the way you are. So I'll never be as good as you are because I don't care the way you care. Yeah. But the people that are into it, it's just incredible to watch them do their thing, you know? Yeah, it's, um, it's not. I mean, sitting, I haven't been to see Hamilton, but sitting in the pit for Lion King, it's a whole different set of challenges. Totally. Like being totally. able to just walk in and just play and and play for like 10 seconds and then not play for a couple minutes. And in those 10 seconds, you got to be perfect. Like it's, yeah. it's pretty The amount intense. of concentration and, and focus is, is unreal. Even, you know, for something like where you got a drum set player for, for the blue man group, I saw the blue man group here. I would love to go see it. And, uh, where is it in Boston where James Murphy does it? Oh yeah. He writes yeah, for you guys. Boston. James is a great guy, man. And I would love to see him play that. But I mean, even that it's like, dude, you're the drum set player for something that's very drum centric and, yeah. Yeah. and you're not the star of the show and yeah. you have to, but you have to be on the whole time. And so it'd be very cool. Uh, now, do you know, does Andreas do gigs around town? Is he a gigging drummer or is Hamilton taking up all of his time? I haven't seen him around. Maybe he does, but I'm pretty sure. I mean, he's probably playing at least six of these a week. So, you know, there's oh, not okay. much so more he's, time to yeah, do anything no, else. He's set. Yeah. Wow. Does a yeah. Broadway show really – I mean, I know I, – I'm on the West Coast. I know nothing about it. Does the Broadway show really do like six nights a week or five or six nights a week? They do eight shows a week. <laughs> but they don't most, even care about the days. Yeah, but most people – most I think everyone subs out a couple times. Wow. Yeah. It's, That's it's incredible, pretty, man. It's pretty crazy. And, and part of me says there's no way I could do that. But then part of me says you work two hours a day and you're making more money than you've probably ever made in any other That's game. Okay. I was just going to ask. I mean without being crass about the financial situation, is a top Broadway gig, is it a high-paid gig? 
Uh, it's if you do six shows a week, you're making six figures. Okay. Wow. Yeah, that's not awesome. too bad. Now, how long can a show run for? Can can it really run for multiple years? I think Lion King is in. I mean, it's coming up on twenty years. But so yes, that's so a, yes. I mean that's an anomaly. But that's rare, right? In yeah. the Heights, that, that might have been like a four or five year run. I'm not sure, but so yeah, you've got you've got a few years of, but then you're going to be first call for the next show for the next one. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So you become the Broadway guy. Well, that's awesome. Yeah. Well, hopefully, I haven't uh, I didn't have the time to check today, but I'm I'm going to try to see if I can find some clips of Andreas playing because I've never seen him play, and I would love to see him play, whether it be with you know in Hamilton or just see him play drum set alone i would love to check that so hopefully he's got some youtube stuff out there all right well let's get into some candy a little gear review now uh this is something that i has kind of near and dear to my heart most people know that i was a dw artist for a very long time i signed with dw drums when i was 21 years old and i was a dw artist until i was i believe 34 so 13 or 14 years I was with DW and I'm still a DW hardware artist. So I have a great relationship with the company. And then last year DW took over the distribution uh, of Gretsch. So I'm back in the family with DW. And so you're reviewing their pure Oak drum set. And I I didn't know that they weren't doing a lot of Oak stuff because DW, I guess they, they've probably always had Oak veneers, but I didn't know they weren't doing any Oak shells. Uh, So I read the article and it seems like DW put more, (laughs) chaos into this kit than even normal which is i mean it always starts with like john good finding a log from a yeah. shipwreck yeah. that's 1500 years ago so <laughs> so what was the kit what what were the sizes and dimensions that they sent you uh let's see well it was a i think it was a six piece kit so it had eight by ten nine by twelve rack toms twelve by fourteen fourteen by sixteen floor toms eighteen by twenty two inch bass drum and a matching six and a half by fourteen snare Okay. It was seven ply rack toms and eight, eight ply floor toms of bass drum, and the snare was eleven ply. Now, okay. when you want to get into the science of his long and short and HVL whatever, I still don't really understand it. I guess if you're really into that, that's great. But all I know is these drums sounded amazing. So okay, I don't. I'm not into the science of it. I know that's just that's some people's thing. It's not my thing. Um, I know that whatever they did for these shells, I mean, I've played a lot of DW drums. Sometimes they sound awesome, but it's never been my thing. Okay. Uh, these drums were like, they were giving me something that I did not have in any, any other drum I've ever played. Okay. It was okay. pretty unique, pretty powerful, cutting, really clear, like bright, but in a good way. Um, they just made me feel like I was playing like really important <laughs> music like now big arenas and stuff are they louder than normal than like maple drums or were they do they feel volume wise the same were they as sensitive as a maple drum set yeah i mean i don't i don't like to say any drum is loud because you can always play quieter on quieter, any drum. of course uh, of course it definitely had more presence than a, a maple i mean more definitely it's like the opposite side of like a round over edge mahogany drum. okay i gotcha it was a kind of strong powerful but not harsh, very musical, very sensitive. I mean, I, again, I felt like I was playing like arena rock or something on this kit. Okay. Kind of tailor-made for just drama. I also felt like they were a little bit too rich for me. <laughs> <laughs> too, you mean the actual, the drum set itself or yeah, the tone? Yeah, no, not the price. I just felt like the drums were just, <clears throat> you know, I don't have fancy stuff. And right, these right, are, right. These right. are fancy, fancy These are drums. fancy, okay. So this is... This is for the drummer that wants to really, really play some incredible high-end drums or the guy that can afford to have these as furniture. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he just tells all of his friends, like, well, it's you got a seven-ply rack tom with your uh, short grain and your long grain. <laughs> I, I did I, – I was able to, like, you know, hang out with John Good uh, when I was a DW artist, spend some time in his office, and he really walked me through the whole grain thing because I wasn't understanding it either. I was like, you know – HLT or or HVT, no HLT. So horizontal laminate timber and then <laughs> vertical laminate timber, all that stuff. And all he did was he just grabbed like a veneer and put it on my hand, and, yeah. and it just stayed perfect. And it was going, uh, you know, horizontal. And then he turned the grain so it was going vertical and just flopped on my hand. And he was like, "So if we turn the grain vertical, 
it's it's not going to put any stress on the wood whatsoever, and the pitch will go down. Now, if we turn the grain horizontal and we bend it into a cylinder against the grain, it's going to put a lot of stress on the wood, and the pitch is going to go up. So that was his. That's kind of how the HLT or HVT. HLT and, and VLT. Holy crap! Yeah. A lot of a lot of initialisms. It's a lot uh, of like lunch sandwich sounding things. It is. It is. <laughs> the BLT. With I'll have extra the BLT, minute. the HLT, and the VLT. <laughs> but yeah, it's you know that's how it was explained to me was that when the grain is vertical, when you bend it, it takes very little. It puts very little stress on the wood, and the pitch stays low. And then, so then once I was told that, then I said, oh okay, well then on my new kid, I'd like. Uh, just normal shells on my rack toms, and then I'll do the VLT on my floor toms and my bass drum, and the pitch goes down. So it, it makes sense, but it, it looks like in this kit he's doing a little bit of both. But it is cool because, like I said, I, I've always seen oak stuff um, in their kits, but I guess I, I guess it was just always a veneer. I never yeah. noticed that they weren't building drums out of oak. So oak is pretty special. I mean, it was it, it was something that I would. I would consider adding because I don't have that sound. Like it would take more effort for me to get that really strong sound out of a maple drum, whereas these just have it. So you know what though? But if if oak is special, <laughs> if oak is special, how special is a fifteen hundred year old Romanian <laughs> river oak tree? Because that's got to be hella special, like crazy, like. Not like the sauce they put on a Big Mac. That's special sauce. I mean, this is like hella special sauce. Fifteen hundred year old Romanian river oak. That's that's special. What so. was happening in Romania in the year five hundred? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and who lost the log? That guy got like got his arm cut off. I mean, were they building pyramids? I mean, what were they doing then? I don't know. They're like. Uh, Herge, where's uh where's our log? And he's like, dude, I swear it was on the back of my truck. I'm so sorry. <laughs> my truck. <laughs> <laughs> my ba- my wagon. My Tesla. My bad. Yeah, all right. <laughs> Good stuff. Well let's uh before we get any sillier, let's take a listen to these amazing drums. So we do have a little bit of extra time, so we're going to squeeze in one more question before we get to our picks of the week. So what do you got for us? This one comes in from John Buchanan, I believe is how you would say it. He says he has three kits right now. He has a maple Keller shell kit with 20-inch bass drum and 12- and 16-inch toms. He has the same sizes in a Gretsch mahogany kit. Oh, cool. And he has a Ludwig 
Breakbeats kit with which has poplar shells and it's got a ten and thirteen inch toms and a little sixteen inch bass drum. So yep. he's got you know a nice collection. He's looking to add a kind of a kit that would fit the middle with a twenty inch bass drum, a twelve and fourteen inch toms. Okay, um, for occasional gigs and mostly they'll be in situations where they're mic'd. So okay, he's thinking about getting a different material that would somewhere some fit between the maple and the mahogany. Uh, he wants to know specifically what do we think of acrylic kits like the pearl crystal beat would it be too boomy oh i I definitely don't find those drums to be boomy um i find them to be the exact opposite of boomy but i think that if you're going to get an acrylic kit don't get it for sound get it for appearance get it for the fact that i mean it does have its own unique sound for sure but i think most importantly it's just kind of a showstopper they they're obviously clear drums and that that can be cool to me it can be gimmicky as cool as well so but so i as far as acrylic it definitely wouldn't be too boomy i mean you do you have a vista light i do i have a vista yeah. light um and it's certainly not boomy it's it's actually kind of blunt sounding yeah yeah um and it's also really susceptible to different rooms because the drums themselves have, have almost no character so you're just getting drum heads. So if you're in a room that's really bright and, and brittle, the drums are going to sound bright and brittle. Yeah. Uh, so I wouldn't suggest, unless you just want an acrylic kit, I wouldn't suggest that for gigging um, and to give you a different sound, and those sizes in particular. Right. So I don't know what I would say. I would think maybe um, we don't have anything birch, so maybe get something birch, which would be super punchy, and it'll mic up really well. That would be my yeah. choice. Yeah, you could do that. The other thing you could do is <clears throat> the the Gretsch Mahogany kit, if you're talking about the Ribbon Mahogany, um, that was a limited edition, so you're not going to be able to build on that. But maybe you could just, with the Maple kit you already have, the, the Keller Shell kit, if it's not overly custom, you could build on that. Like maybe order a 22-inch kick for that, order a 10-inch Tom for that, and start to build. I know for me, eventually, collecting drum sets became silly, and I just started making sure that I had every option in the drum set I loved. Yeah. And so eventually I went to Gretsch and said, okay, I'm going to stick with the Brooklyn line. I have the Brooklyn in these sizes. Can you send me a 22 by 14? By the way, if you want to add a bass drum to your lineup, 22 by 14 is one that a lot of people don't have. They might have a 20 by 14, but that is a fantastic bass drum size. Um, so you might want to build that or move to something like um, – you know, whatever you want. I, I wish I knew the names of everything because I, I don't want to recommend only Gretsch. But with my Gretsch Brooklyn, that's giving you that's a poplar kit, really. It's a it's got maple, then poplar and maple. So it's kind of like a poplar sandwich. But that kit you could just keep building and building and building on and get every size imaginable and then you'd be kind of set. And it will sound different than the mahogany kit you already have. So Yeah, so I wouldn't again, not not acrylic. Yeah. No, I, I like I said, only if it was something where you just needed something visually where there was a gig where you thought, like, this will look really good in this gigging situation. But definitely it's the opposite of Boomy. They're pretty dead. And there's nothing worse than, and I've had to do this, than an a, acrylic kit on an outdoor gig. That's a rough one. Yeah, it's like it's you're just hitting like, nothing. Like you're no, hitting Tupperware. Bum, bum, bum. <laughs> it is Tupperware. <laughs> yeah. It's just really nice Tupperware with, with heads on it. So, All right. Well, we're going to get into our picks of the week now. And this time, uh, my pick of the week is a TV show. Most of you guys, uh, if you follow me at all, know that I'm uh, quite the fan of astronomy and astrophysics. And so my pick this time is a TV show called Through the Wormhole with Morgan Freeman. The one thing that I love about the show – have you ever seen the show, Mike? No. I've been meaning to check it out, but I just haven't. Okay. So Through the Wormhole is really cool. What they do is they take big, big picture things. Uh, It could be did we invent God or it could be maybe supermassive black holes or maybe something a little more like dark matter or dark energy. They take things where there's no answer yet and then they go to like the top five or six astrophysicists or or – the top five professionals in their field of whatever the subject is and they get their take on it. But the whole point of this, of the show is there is no answer. You never get anything answered. You get five different takes from brilliant people. And at the end you're left to make up your own mind, which I love. What I don't want is a show that says, did we invent God? And then there's an answer at the end. It's like, well, then you just told me that we did or didn't. What I want to know is why don't you go to the most brilliant neuroscientists and religious leaders in the world get their opinions on it and then i have all this information to make up my own mind 
And so I think they're on like season five now. Uh, but it's it's just a fantastic show. And so you can just kind of go through the list on iTunes or wherever you get your shows from and find some subjects that you're like, wow, that's really cool. What would it be like if aliens landed? It's not an alien sci-fi thing. It's it's going to the smartest human beings on the planet and saying, no, seriously, if we if they made contact and landed here, what would happen to our society? What would happen to our governments? And and then at the end, you just have all these opinions. And then they'll always go to one or two crackpots. Yeah. Um, and those guys are usually the ones that are right. You know, can we make a warp drive? And they go to this guy on an ice skating rink, and he's got like tin cans on his head. And then he's got like the best idea for a warped. Like some of the physicists are like, actually, that dude was kind of right. But um, but it's great. By the end, like I said, you just get some great opinions. And Morgan Freeman clearly just narrates the whole thing and pushes the show along. But he has no opinion himself that doesn't get input. So that's my favorite type of science is where give me the information, but don't tell me how to think. Just allow me to do what I want with the information. So it's called Through the Wormhole with Morgan Freeman, and it's a fantastic show. Cool. Did you ever see that documentary about peak oil? About what? Peak oil. No. A guy who – I think he worked in the, the oil industry or something. You're talking about crackpots, and he's kind of yeah. like – It's one of those – like you watch it, and like you believe everything he says, but then you see that like everyone had basically written him off as being a crazy person. He's basically oh, talking about okay. the collapse. I think it might be called collapse. It's about the collapse of society once we run out of oil. Oh, nice. It's pretty heavy, but it's I left watching that thinking the same thing. Like, is this guy just nuts or is he really like knows exactly? Is he the one that's on to it? Yeah, he knows yeah. exactly what's gonna happen. Man, actually there's a there's a documentary, I can't remember what the name of it is, but it's on the guy that invented the Segway. Okay. Um and the you know the kind of personal transportation thing that people I hate ride those on things. right totally so <laughs> that guy is one of the most brilliant human beings on the planet like he literally is, has solved the clean water issue for the world and no one knows it oh. and and I mean he's he's fully installing it he's going to all these third world countries and they can pour muddy water into this thing and it just kicks out drinking water and he did it for dialysis he was trying to go into hospitals and say look. The water you guys are using for dialysis is so expensive because it's so pure. I made a machine that can take any of your tap water and turn it into dialysis water. And then, yeah, then somebody was like, could you do that for Africa? And he's like, (laughs) yeah, I totally could. And so it was crazy. I mean, like, how is that going? I haven't heard anything about that. Maybe I've just. I'll send you. It's on Netflix. It's fantastic. Um, How is he not end up dead? It's pretty crazy. Uh, honestly, he had to like eventually get together with the Coca-Cola company to because he, he didn't have the finances to make these machines on his own, even though yeah. when you see his house, he's doing fine. Um, but he's he's very uh, – anyways, long story short is the crackpots sometimes get it right. Yeah. You know. Uh, well, this guy is not, not so positive. I think it's called Collapse. It's worth checking out if you want to get scared. <laughs> It's a, okay. Cool. It's a real life horror movie. <laughs> I look forward to it. Is that your pick of the week, by the way? No, I saw it once and I'll never see it again. That and there's another <laughs> one called Zeitgeist. Did you see that one? Oh yeah, yeah, oh, that man. Yeah, that's that'll screw you up in the head. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Then then you just go down a rabbit hole of just like I, I can't do that kind of stuff. I I I I show up to work every day in my little hobbit hole here oh, yeah. in Folsom, California, and my big problems are. Who detuned my snare drum? Yeah. Like that's what I'm dealing. With. I don't care about the world and big banking and like <laughs> is you know is Trump going to be president? It's like you know what if he is, unless he comes here and detunes my kit, I'll deal with it later. You know, uh, yeah. so yeah. yeah, I'm I, uh, yeah nickname head in the sand. That's me, buddy. Yeah, likewise. So my pick of the week is something really simple, but this was a particularly hectic week, and it really kind of saved my life because I had to drive like 250 miles to play a gig, and then drive back 250 miles the next oh my day. Goodness! And then be at the gig that night and be written, be on you know peak performance. So I always take uh, an emergency before every gig, like one oh. packet of emergency and like a half a glass of water. It's got a bunch of B you know, B vitamins and and a mega dose of, of vitamin C, and it just it could be placebo effect. I don't think so. It just makes me clear and alert. I just feel okay. awake. The cloud is lifted. The exhaustion, at least for a few hours, I'm like, okay, I'm ready. I'm feeling good and I can play. And you don't get like any kind of caffeine jitters or anything like that like you would with like an energy drink? Yeah, it's kind of like um, – you know, people say, "Well, you know, I don't feel anything." Well, that's the point. You're not. You're supposed to actually yeah. just be completely clear of 
yeah, of all I don't, the funk. I don't want to feel anything. Yeah. That's that's my biggest fear is having kind of that Red Bull adrenaline while I'm trying to play a gig and stay in time. And, yeah. You know, my hands are shaking, so my ghost notes sound like I'm having a seizure. Yeah, right. I mean, some people drink a couple of beers, but for me, that numbs your reflexes and makes you slower. So why do you want that, you know? Like couple beers. That's awesome. <laughs> well, you know, that's... No, no, I hey, real I, life. I've, I've gigged my whole life, and I, I've always, <laughs> I've always been the one backstage with like my little box of fig newtons and my green tea, and doing some push-ups <laughs> to kind of get get ready for the gig, and some jumping jacks to loosen up my body. And then there's just like the rest of my musicians are just hammering down Jaeger, and I'm like, that's cool. Yeah, and they're like it takes the edge off. And I'm like, well, you're hammered, but whatever. Yeah, I don't want that edge to be off though. I want to be alert and focused. I just want to be me. Yeah, I want to be me like in my practice space. I don't come here. And either drink a bunch of beers or hammer like five Red Bulls. I come here normal and I feel fine and I practice and that's how I want to feel, you know. Uh, so that's awesome. And it's not spelled like the word emergency, right? No, it's like emerge hyphen C. You yeah. can get it at any grocery store. But that, I mean, that's been my secret for, I think this point is probably a ritual of, you know, I, I need to be focused for the gig and it kind of gets me. Right. But I really do feel it just, especially after you travel a lot because, I mean, yeah, I think we talked about before. There's never a perfect situation where, like, every gig you're you have the perfect environment and you no. get the perfect green room and the perfect meal and the perfect sound. So a lot of times, you're for me, I'm driving like dealing with New York City traffic and going straight to the gig. So I mean, if I don't have a few minutes to just kind of focus and I, I chug up one of these things, I'm right. usually ready to go. That's awesome. Uh, and then the last question I have about it is. Is it a pill or does it come in a powder form? I get the packet. So it's like orange okay. flavored, like uh, powder. Yeah, powdered. And it probably, I would assume it probably has some, knowing from the name, it probably has some vitamin C in it. So yeah. uh, I'm sure whatever vitamins it has probably helps you for all the meet and greet afterwards where people are trying to spread their diseases. On yeah, you. yeah. So. It's also good for yeah, if you're on the road touring. I mean, that was a lifesaver for me as well. That and probiotics kept me from getting any kind of cold or sickness. Nice. Love it. All right. Well, everyone, please, if you get a chance, give us a little favorable review on iTunes. We would really appreciate it or wherever you get this podcast. Keep sending in your questions to, what is it, info at, you tell them. MDinfo at com. Swear, dude. Someday <laughs> I'm going to get that right. Someday. <laughs> Someday. Uh, anyway, I'm just glad they sent them to you because when Amber reads them, it goes all sorts of south. She's like, and this guy wants to know 50 ways that he should know how to leave his lover. And I'm like, easy, <laughs> easy. It's a good drum question. Just send it to mdinfo at moderndrummer.com. All right, buddy, I will see you next week. All right, have a good one. Later, bro. Later.